right. Good morning once again. It's good to see you here at Open Anchor at the beginning of a brand new year, brand spanking new, 2022. Uh, as a pastor, it's always kind of exciting and always a little bit challenging too to uh, come through the major holidays and, and uh, really kind of discern a, 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 fresh, a fresh way to talk about familiar things. Well, I'd say the new year, the first Sunday of the new year is also one of those big days where you have to kind of figure out, hey God, what can I say to help recalibrate us, re-motivate your people in this local congregation? What can we open your word and find today to give us fresh eyes, fresh ears, and a, and a sensitive heart to say, God, what are you up to in our midst? You know, we ask that question, or those questions, why us? Why here? And why now? We ask those questions believing that God has called us here on purpose. He's called this body together for a reason. Uh, our world ought to be different, ought to be blessed, because of what God is doing through these people, you, me, us, all following Jesus and seeking to be more and more obedient to His will and His work, His mission in the world. And that, my friends, is what I think we should talk about today. What is it that God is calling us to do and who is it He's calling us to be in our world, in our city, and in our neighborhood heading into 2022? So in a way, today is kind of a vision a vision message. I want to talk about our vision for 2022 and beyond because really you're going to hear some of this and be like, well, that's nothing new. Well, you're right. There isn't anything new here. This is just re-emphasizing refocusing, maybe honing in a little bit on what God has called us to do. Because uh, we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of challenging times, a lot of times of just uh, struggle. But that will not define us going forward. It must not define us going forward. We follow Jesus. We follow King Jesus. And it's King Jesus who said uh, that He would build His church. And that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And so our job is to be obedient to him. We will glorify God and we will make disciples through um, our daily life together. So that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, today's message is uh, I need to give credit to a guy named uh, Hayden Ratner. He's the pastor of a church called Walk Church. Uh, back earlier this last year, I guess, it's last year now, I went to uh, Alpharetta, Georgia for my... Uh, for work for North American Mission Board uh, to send network orientation. And kind of unexpectedly, Hayden Ratner was speaking at one of the like general sessions, and he brought a message that just so resonated with my heart that I was taking fastidious notes. And those notes that I took from his talk became the bones of what I want to share with you today. So um, today's message is called Rivers of Healing. Rivers of Healing. Now, you may know this about my wife and I, but my wife and I, we do not watch very much television. We don't watch much television. In fact, we don't even have a television in the house. Uh, the only one we have is out in our backyard in the carriage house for the kids to watch on occasion. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have uh, access to things like Netflix or Amazon Prime. I do have a, get this, 13-inch MacBook. So when we want to watch television, we want to watch something, uh, we get out the, the MacBook. We watch all 13 inches of it diagonally. And uh, it's like an immersive experience. Uh, so we don't watch much TV, but the one exception to that is what? Does anyone know? British crime dramas. <laughs> British crime dramas. Who wouldn't watch British crime dramas, really? Um, we have a thing for stories that are set in these quiet British towns with unusually high murder rates. 
I don't know, it just it resonates, I don't know. Um, we don't watch much else besides British crime dramas. We're watching one, it's an Icelandic uh, crime drama right now. But you get the drift. Um, we don't watch much else. However, I don't live under a rock. I don't live in a cave. I, I'm aware of what else is out there. Uh, I'm aware of the variety of shows that are based on this idea. The idea of finding trash and turning it into treasure. That concept of finding something that's been discarded or forgotten or thrown away and turning it into treasure. Uh, what shows am I thinking of? I'm thinking of shows like Fixer Upper. Uh, what else? Um, Extreme Home Makeover, uh, Antiques Roadshow. Anyone watch these shows? Yeah. Um, American Pickers, Storage Wars. Um, the broad range of these kind of shows tells me that there's a lot of interest in this dynamic, finding what has been lost or discarded and turning it into something valuable, turning it into treasure. Be it run-down or outdated houses, uh, maybe antiques that have been hidden away in some roadside obscurity, maybe it's hand-me-down family heirlooms, or maybe it's just random storage units that you bid on and you win the contents of it without knowing what it is and you just dig through it and find what you just bought. Whatever the case, we love the possibility that something lost could be found, don't we? We love the idea that something lost, it could be found. The idea that something forgotten could be remembered, that something broken could be restored, that very idea, it stirs something inside of our souls, doesn't it? We love that. Something about that resonates at a very human level with us. Why do we love shows like this so much? Is it because we really love old houses? Do we love antiques that much? Some do, but not all. Do we love antiques? Do we love the contents of strangers' storage units? Does that, is that what stirs our soul? Probably not. I think it's this. I think we are drawn to the human stories that are playing out in these narratives. We love the surprise when someone that, th that they got from something they got from their great grandma, they bring it to Antiques Roadshow and they're like, I got this spatula. And they're like, that's a spatula from the 10th century, you know? And they're like, what? And it's like, it's amazing. It's a million dollars worth of spatula, you know? And they're like, what? You know, we don't care about the spatula. We care about the person's face. They're like, I can't believe it. Great grandma had a treasure, uh, had a spatula of wonder. We are drawn to the human stories that are playing out in the midst of these narratives. I think it's both of, we do like antiques, we do like spatulas, but more than that, we love stories of restoration. We love stories of restoration. We watch these shows about renovated homes and restored treasures because in them, we see stories of renovated dreams and restored hopes. See, that's what's really happening. Deeper things are being restored and renewed in these, uh, these shows that we watch. Yes, we resonate with restoration stories, but I think we, it's more than that we just enjoy them. I think we actually need them. We need these kind of stories. We need stories of hopeless situations that have been brought back from the brink. Why does restoration mean so much to us? I mean, you don't just care about it because you've heard about Jesus or you're a Christian. As a human being, the idea of trash to treasure, 
rags to riches, what's lost being found, what's been broken has been restored. That kind of story resonates with us. Why does restoration matter so much to us and what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean? Well, I looked up some definitions of the word restoration. Restoration, there's various definitions, but here's two I like. Restoration is the act or the process of returning something to its earlier good condition, position, or to its rightful owner. The act or process of returning something to its earlier good condition, position, or to its owner, or the act of renewal, revival, and reestablishment. Here's the thing. Deep within each and every one of us, there's a story of breakdown playing out. We're all familiar with brokenness. We're all familiar with feeling lost. There's a story of breakdown playing out. There's a sense that we can't quite shake. Something has been lost, and we desperately long to find it. Something has been lost, and we desperately desire to find it. Why is this? Well, I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I think it goes back to the Garden of Eden when our most, pressure, our most precious treasure was lost. When our most precious treasure slipped through our grasping hands. Our life with God was our most precious treasure. That we could walk in the cool of the day with our Creator, with our Father. That was lost. Our life with God was forsaken in disobedience. And wandering ever since, out east of Eden, we've been trying desperately, doing everything we can think of to reclaim it. A sad story plays at the center of our lives. A sad story plays at the center of your life and, and, and my life, all of our lives. There's a sad story playing out in the center. More than that, a sad story plays at the heart of our very world. And here's the thing. Even though we're broken and we're lost and there's this sad story playing, we can't stop being a resilient people of hope. We hope that this isn't how the story ends. We need to believe that someday and somehow all these sad things will come untrue. All the sad things that we've become so familiar with and so many things that have just uh, uh, been far too familiar in our lifetimes. We've got to believe that all these sad things will somehow come untrue and that all the pain and the loss, they do not have the last word. We can't give up on that hope. It rises up within us, even in the darkest of nights. This is the truth, and this is the hope at the very center of the good news of the gospel. And it is this. Healing is coming. Healing is coming. Healing is coming. Our deepest longing now is met in Jesus Christ, and by faith in Him, we can join with God in making that healing a reality. We can join with God in His rescue mission in the world. We can join with God in His restoration mission in our world here and now. So I want to start here. Here's where I want us to study for a minute. Who is Jesus then? If this is true, it's, it's that our deepest longings are met in Jesus Christ, then who is Jesus Christ? Well, I want to look, look at a specific passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1 that really unpacks this dynamic, this reality about Jesus and the magnitude of who He is and what He has done that I think orients us rightly for our response. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. 
This is one of Paul's most uh, beautiful hymns of praise to Jesus, describing who he is and what he's done. Listen to this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Did you hear the last bit of that? Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all things together. So what is it, what is it that Paul is telling us here? What is being revealed to us about Jesus? Jesus is the visible image of what? Of the invisible God. He is before, behind, and ruling over everything in all creation, both seen and unseen. This is Jesus. Through Jesus, God has made all that is, both in heaven and on earth, and then it says, everything was created through him and for him. The Apostle Paul, he states something that's pretty startling here, if you think about it. Not only did Christ make everything, but everything he made exists for what reason? For him. For him. He is king of it all. Everything that exists was made by him and for him. He rules over it. He is king of it all. This idea, taken to its biblical conclusion, is often, sadly, foreign to Christians. I saw a statistic that said 60% of Christians in America believe that Jesus began at Christmas time. <laughs> they have this really, really flawed understanding of the idea of Trinity, uh, that God is part of the eternal, uh, ever-present Godhead, that, God, that He created from before the world was made, and He actually spoke the world into existence, but that Jesus was born actually in Bethlehem, and that's the beginning of His story. This idea that Jesus uh, is before all things created all things, and they all exist for Him, and He holds them all together, that's foreign to a lot of Christians. We see our faith and we see our churches as belonging to Jesus, but we understand that our churches and that we practice our faith in the midst of a hostile world that belongs to the enemy. We've got this disconnected view that Jesus uh, doesn't run the show anymore because the devil has come, the enemy has come and taken over the place, and that the world is run by the enemy and ruled by evil, and it is devoid of God's rule and reign. We often fail to comprehend that all creation, even in its fallen state, it belongs to God. All creation, it belongs to God right here and right now. You, me, and everything we see in it, it still belongs to God. What, the, what does this mean then for how we live our lives? What this means is that our lives, that everything in our lives, belong to Jesus Christ. Is that our primary filter of interpreting the world around us? Is that the fuel that drives our hopefulness? That like, hey, this is something that belongs to Jesus, and my work is to help restore it to its rightful place, to its rightful condition, back to its right owner. 
Do I see the world that way, or do I just wash my hands of it and say, yeah, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm just ready to go to heaven, right? Well, I've got a surprise for you. Read Revelation. <laughs> the new heaven and new earth that leads us to a place like this, restored, reconciled to God. So our lives and everything in it, they belong to Jesus. This means that our homes, our careers, our families, our marriages, our mopeds, our RVs, our bass boats, our churches, our neighborhoods, and our cities, guess what? They all belong to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything we have and everything in our lives, guess what? It was created by Him. And why does it exist? It exists for Him. It, it's all His and we, as the church, we exist now to join with Christ in His mission. And that mission is restoration. That mission is restoration, helping all people be restored and reconciled to their Creator. People restored and reconciled to God. Simply put, our mission on earth is this, to bring people back to God. To help bring people back to God. It doesn't get simpler than that. Bring people back to God. Paul captures this well. The Apostle Paul captures this well in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16 through 21. Paul says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one point we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently, how differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. <laughs> for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ's whole mission was reconciliation, reconciling, restoring people to God. And then it says, Jesus gave that restoration mission, that mission of reconciliation to who? To us, to those who believe in Him, those who go by His name. We go out into the world, and, the, and Paul, the Apostle Paul says, we speak the very words of Christ... When we say in our words and our actions, come back to God. Does that elevate your understanding of what your calling as a believer is? Your identity in Christ? Jesus has handed us His very mission and said, now it is yours. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit and call people back to God. We go out as Jesus' ambassadors, believing that anyone we meet, believing that any place we set our foot, it belongs to Jesus and is loved by Jesus. Everyone you meet belongs to Jesus and is loved by Him. Every place you go belongs to Jesus and is loved by Jesus. Jesus has intention. His love compels Him to seek the well-being, the blessing, the restoration and reconciliation of that person and that place. Why is it important for us to hear this? Well, here's why. I think it's easy for us to think that the, the places around us, the people around us, have their own identity. 
in and of themselves, that we create that, or the places we, we create have their own identity, the ones we bestow to them. But, oh, we're so wrong. Here's a quiz. Here's a pop quiz. Some of you might know the answers to these. So, and you get a big prize, a big prize. For Los Angeles is, or Las Vegas, I'm sorry, I don't want to pick on Los Angeles today. <laughs> Las Vegas is known as the blank city. Los Angeles is known as blank city. Or Las Vegas, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Las Vegas is known as blank city. Sin city. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. Why? Yeah, you go there to sin, right? And what you do there stays there. So, I mean, that's, that's common knowledge, right? Las Vegas is known as Sin City because of its debauchery. It's open debauchery and um, uh, just the sin that drives its economy and drives its attitude. It wants to be known as a place where shady stuff happens. It's actually monetized. It's a commodity. You know, I mean, uh, you go to S Las Vegas for certain reasons. How on earth could it not be Sin City in all actuality, right? You know what goes on there. How could it not be Sin City? But guess what? It's not Sin City. What is it? Las Vegas is Jesus' city. Sin does not have that much power. It's not dethroned King Jesus. Las Vegas is Jesus' city. Springfield is called the blank city of the Ozarks. The queen city of the Ozarks. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If anyone does know, let me know. I don't know. Is there a king's city? In Missouri, I, these are questions that keep me awake at night. I don't know why it's called the Queen City of the Ozark, but does it belong to a queen? No. Does it belong to Johnny Morris? To John Q. Hammonds? To Brad Pitt? No. None of these. Springfield belongs not to a queen, but to a king. You see what I did there? Beautiful. Slam dunk. Springfield does not belong to a queen, it belongs to a king, and that king is named Jesus. Now here's the question, do you look at your city, and do you think this is Jesus' city? This is Jesus' city. Well, I'm here to tell you that we should. When you leave here, when you go back home or wherever you live, you would drive into it saying, this city belongs to Jesus. This is Jesus' city. And because of Jesus' mission in this city, because of Jesus' mission here in Jesus' city, and that mission is restoration and reclamation, what are the implications then for me? As someone who is following Jesus Christ, who has embraced and been given His mission in the world, what are the implications for those who follow after Jesus when we recognize that this place is Jesus' place? How should we be motivated to join with Jesus in His work and in His mission? We must ask, in very tangible, practical ways, what does reclamation and restoration look like here? What does it look like here and now? How is my city to be returned to its rightful owner, its rightful condition, and its rightful place? How might my obedience lead to a certain kind of healing in my neighborhood and foster actual reconciliation and renewal here in this community that I love? How might that actually indeed happen? 
through my obedience. And then where should I begin? Where should we start? Well, it's not difficult. It's not sophisticated. It's not high level. It's just like this. Begin with what's right in front of you. Open your eyes. Who is it? Where is it? Begin with what's right in front of you. Begin with what's hanging in your spirit and then ask, what needs are going unmet right here and right now? What ought I be noticing? What ought my heart be breaking for right here in all of its unspectacular misery? Now, before we move further, I want to press pause. I want to issue a word of caution because it's easy to get Christians motivated to go and do stuff. But when we just go and do more stuff, we neglect our rightful starting point. And that starting point is what? It's prayer. It's prayer. A word of caution. As you begin to identify the broken places around you, press pause. Before you act each and every day, look to Jesus. Begin with prayer. Why? Because we can't get around this. All of our efforts begin with, are sustained by, and are oriented, oriented in through prayer. Through prayer first. Prayer helps calibrate our thinking. It aligns our hearts with God's heart, and it helps us stay focused, and it keeps us from charging off on these personal crusades. Because there's stuff that, uh, by God's design, matters to you a lot. But when we take matters into our own hands, those can become exaggerated or lopsided or deformed, and we can go off assuming that God is with us, and we can uh, start doing our thing and never listening to where God is at work. There may be something even more important or more subtle that God wants you to be about right now that will, have, that will bear fruit in that bigger quest, but we'd never know if we don't stop and we don't listen. What are we praying for? What are you praying for? Are we asking God to actually restore our spouses? Are we asking God to actually restore our kids, our families, our friends, our fellow students, our coworkers, our neighbors? Are we praying for them by name? Do we see their faces when we go before the Lord? Who are we praying for? Think about it. Our spouses, kids, families, friends, fellow students, coworkers, neighborhoods. Who is it right in front of you? Well, there's lots of people. Start there. What are we praying for? Are we asking God to actually heal our city, to restore actual lives in our uh, circle of influence, our schools, our churches, Springfield? Do we believe that prayer actually changes things? Do we believe it? Is it just a rote exercise Christians are supposed to do? Or do we actually believe that prayer, prayer changes things? Have we really tried it? Have we committed ourselves to it? Have we given time and space for, their, for prayer to really do its work in our lives, to do, our, do its work in our world? Here's what we must believe and plant our feet uh, in this truth. Prayer moves things. Prayer moves things. It changes things. It affects people and circumstances. It affects homes and it affects cities. And so we pray. So we pray, Jesus, use me to restore my town. Jesus, use me to heal poverty, to heal hatred, to heal hopelessness, family breakdown, broken dreams, and loss of purpose. Guys, it's everywhere. So what more can we be doing but starting in prayer? Jesus, use me. <coughs> we pray, Jesus, send me. Send me to bring hope and restoration. 
Send me to bring hope and restoration to who? To the immigrant, to the displaced, to the children without families. Children in foster care to bring freedom to captives, addicted people, abused people, trafficked people, oppressed people, to all those in despair. Jesus, send me. Send me. Make me uncomfortable enough that I will go. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, we go out. We go out to restore our world with the time we've been given. We ask, where are the broken places in my local context? Where are the broken places? We can be so comfortable and so insulated that we never stop to look. We never stop to ask. But guys, there's broken people and there's broken places all around us, so where are they? God, help us see it. Where are the broken places in my world? Where are the broken places in my home, in my circle of friends, in my networks, in my school, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, and in my city? For me and my family, historically over the past years and even now, um, it's looked a little like this. We've invested heavily in foster care and adoption uh, through uh, NBCH. Uh, we, we support kids in poverty. Uh, we don't support them being in poverty. <laughs> yes! Now, we help relieve poverty, and, and we do it unspectacularly through Compassion and World Vision. Several of you do as well. Uh, we participate in church planting. We planted a church, and we uh, daily invest in others who are going out to plant new works for the kingdom. Uh, we address food insecurity. Uh, we support Victory Mission. We uh, participate in things like Love Thy Neighbor. Uh, we are involved in our neighborhood associations, both where we live and where our church is. Uh, we help fight human trafficking by supporting Nightlight International with Savannah. Our church does that too, but we do that as a family. These are decisions we've made to allocate our resources to these ends. Uh, we, uh, we support a mission partner in Italy. This is something that God has impressed on our hearts, and we want to do that each month. And uh, if you guys stood up here and gave your list, it would look similar, right? There's things that matter to you and things that you've allocated your time and your resources toward those ends because you feel compelled to do so by the Holy Spirit. In one way or another, to whatever degree, you say, Jesus is king over this, and my work is to join him in restoring it, seeing it restored, uh, reconciled to him as king. So for our church here at Hope and Anchor, what will that be? Well, over the years, like I said, uh, we've been uh, investing in certain things, uh, but maybe we need to zero in. We need to ask, how will we claim our world, our city, and our neighborhood for King Jesus? Well, heading into this year, we're going to be hyper-focused on Studio Alternative Center. We're going to be uh, zeroing in a lot of our efforts, our time and energy and resources on Studi. Right here, two blocks over, is a school, the Alternative Education Center for our city. We're going to invest in meaningful ways in the faculty and staff and also the students and their families at that school. Uh, we're going to address food insecurity in our uh, immediate area because our church is uh, blessed to be in a food desert where we can answer a real practical daily need by providing food. So we'll do that through partnering with Victory Mission, also having our big blue box of blessing out there. Uh, but there's other ways to do that. But we want to be active in that. We want to continue having a good relationship with our neighborhood and the West, West Side Neighborhood Betterment Association. We want to be showing up at the meetings and asking good questions like, hey, how can we be a good thing in our neighborhood? Uh, we want to be involved in church planting. We want to be involved in things like disaster relief. And we also want to be involved in things like missions, both locally and internationally. 
We want these things to identify us as a body of believers. These are the things that motivate us and the things we spend our time praying about and investing in. Now, what about you? Here's five good questions to ask. Five good questions you can ask about what is it right in front of you? What is it God is calling you to join Him in in His restoration work? First question, who? Who am I called to serve? Who am I called to serve and help bring back to God? Who is it? It helps to identify who it is, right? Who is it that I'm called to serve and help bring back to God? Second question, where? Where is God already at work? Where is God already at work around me? Where can I join Him? Where, where is God already at work and where can I join Him? Uh, the third question, what? What are the greatest needs? What are the most pressing needs right now that you, through your small efforts and your small abilities and resources, you can actually make a difference in? What are the greatest needs around you? Number four, how can I help meet those needs? What's my strategy? How can I and how can my church help meet those needs? And then the question number five, the fifth, the last question here, when? And this is oftentimes where our best intentions break down, right? When? When will I start? When will I begin? When will we begin to invest ourselves? To, to, to have our feet follow our faith and saying, Jesus is king. This belongs to Jesus. We're going to bring it back to him. When will we start? So, I want you to do this before you get away from here. Write it down. You know what it is for you. Maybe one thing, maybe three things, whatever. Write it down. Be specific. And as best as you're able, be actionable. What will it look like if you got involved here? And this might take a little more time than what you can do right now. But write down what you need to, to remember it. Who is it? Where is it? What is it? And what can I do today? Who is it? Where is it? What is it? And what can I do starting now? So here is the picture that I believe God has placed in my heart for Hope and Anchor Church. Our church, as part of the, the global church, our church is to be a river of healing. I want this to be the image that guides how we think about what we're here for. Our church, Hope and Anchor, is to be a river of healing. A river of healing flowing to the broken, the wounded, and the despairing places in our community, both locally and globally. Imagine that something's flowing out of here. It's a river of healing. And where is it flowing? It's flowing to those broken places. It's flowing to those wounded places, those places that are marked by deep despair. Our church is a river of healing. When we go from here, we're flowing forth. We are to be the way that God is going out into our community, into our city, and washing the wounds of the world. Washing the wounds of the world with the pure water of the gospel, bringing healing and hope and human flourishing. If we're praying for God to do something, but we're unwilling to go and be that thing, we're missing out. We're not being faithful to the way God is at work in the world. We're not paying attention to what Jesus did when he ascended by saying, now you go. All authority, all power is mine, and I'm giving you marching orders. Now go. Bring restoration. Bring healing. 
We are the way that God is washing the wounds of the world with the pure water of the gospel. I love the image that God gives Ezekiel of a river flowing from the temple. From the temple of God, this river is flowing from the temple of God and it is bringing refreshment to the desert. It's refreshing the desert. It is actually healing the Dead Sea and it is bringing health and vitality to the world and all things in it. Turn to Ezekiel, probably the weirdest book in the whole Bible. You think Revelation is weird? Read Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through 9. In my Bible, this whole section is called the river of healing. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door in the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the waters flowing out from the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles and he measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. And he asked me, Have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Wherever this river of healing flows, it turns death into life. It brings flourishing. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Like a spring bursting forth from the ground, may our church be a fountainhead of gospel hope and healing, of restoration in our actual neighborhood, in our actual city, and in our actual world. May our church be that here, bursting forth from this place on College Street, flowing out and making a healing difference in our world. And may the people in the place that you love, may, may the people in the places that we love, may they be restored. May they be restored to their rightful condition, to their rightful position, and to their rightful owner today. Through the prayer, through the faithfulness, and through the obedience of us. May you know the presence of Jesus and experience His power as you go out today, flowing as a river of healing into your community, into those places where God has placed you, among those people among whom He's placed you. May you go as a river of healing, and may your life in the world bring renewal, may it bring revival, and may it bring restoration here and now for the glory of God and for the blessing of others. Let's pray. Father, this is a great opportunity for us to uh, affirm our commitment to you, to deepen our desire to, to see Jesus as Lord, for King Jesus' rule and reign to be uh, made more and more evident here and now. And God, it starts in us. 
May Jesus become king in my life today. Over, over my body, over my mind, over my heart, but over my energy and over my actions and my intentions. God, may Jesus be king. My life belongs to Jesus. My family belongs to Jesus. My home, my neighborhood, my city, it belongs to Jesus. Even though the work of the enemy can be so loud, so obnoxious and so distracting, God, may we never forget that this place belongs to you. It is bent, but it is not broken. Your mission in the world is our mission in the world. It's to call people back to you, to bring healing, to bring hope, to speak into places of darkness and despair and bring light and bring love. So God, I pray that you would motivate us. Don't let this year be another year of complacency, of just good church attendance. But God, may we be a people of prayer who've planted their feet faithfully in you, but are busy being about your mission that you've given to us, that ministry of reconciliation. That we would understand that when I go out and I open my mouth and when I open my hands, I'm actually speaking the very words of God, of Christ, and saying, come back. Come back home. God, may many people come back home Come back to God this year through our faithful work, through our faithful obedience. Lord, a year from now, maybe our neighborhood could be a better place. There could be signs of healing and of hopefulness where there was woundedness and there was despair. Lord, there could be a, an increased sense that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King in the West Side neighborhood. That Jesus is Lord and Jesus is King in my marriage and in my workplace and my school. And we have the satisfaction of knowing it's because I chose to be obedient. I chose to glorify Jesus in how I lived my life. Right here and right now. So God, I pray that uh, you would push us back, uh, push us past a feeling of just mere conviction, but actually uh, push us to the place of motivation that we would step into our God-given role, our calling in you, and that you would be honored, you would be glorified. God, make Hope and Anchor Church a river of healing. Make each person here a river of healing. Make me a river of healing in my world. And may this world be healed for your glory and for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to share communion together. And this is just a perfect picture of what it looks like to be sent out. Jesus himself was sent for no other purpose but to draw mankind back to himself, to restore creation to God. And, and uh, he came and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that a way would be made possible for us to come back to God. So Paul said that we go out speaking the very words of Christ and saying, come back to God. Well, this is the very actions of Christ that we're recalling today, that he stretched out his arms and he died on the cross so that we might be saved. The barrier of our sin and disobedience that keeps us from God would be removed. For all who have faith in Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, we could come back to God. And so today we come and we take the bread and we take the, the cup and we say, I remember, Jesus, what you did for me. What you did for me, Jesus, it motivates me. It moves me to be about your work in the world. 
Thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for the blood that was shed. I remember. And that changes everything. So as we prepare to share today, it's important to recognize that. If you've followed after Jesus, He is your King. This is what your King did for you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've trusted Him, and you said, I will follow you as my King and as my Lord and as my Savior, you are actually remembering this. So this is for all who can remember that you've been saved by Jesus Christ. This is for you. So you don't have to be a part of Hope and Anchor Church. This could be your first time here or just your whatever. If you follow Jesus, this is for you. But before you come, I want to encourage you to take a few moments of introspection. Prepare your hearts. Listen closely. Say, God, search me and know me. Maybe there's some hard-heartedness, some stiff-neckedness in me that's kept me from being obedient. I've been following you on my terms. I've been kind of the king of my own life, and I've been hesitant, uh, even subconsciously, to letting uh, Jesus be king of my life. But today I want him to be king of my life. I want him to be king of my family, my marriage, my city, my circle of influence. Jesus, be king. Maybe we need to confess some things. Maybe we need to repent of some things. But this is the time to do that. So take a few moments. When you're ready to be served, come down the center aisle. I'll serve you. Then go back to your seats down the side aisles. Once everyone's been served, we will partake together.